Hello everyone, welcome to the Bootstrap Founder Podcast. My name is Avid Ka and I talk about how you can start, run and sell a bootstrap business. This episode is called the do's and don'ts of the minimum viable product. So let's get started. Leonardo da Vinci supposedly said that art is never finished, only abandoned. This is definitely true for software as well. The only antidote to abandonment is to put your work in front of other people, even when it's not perfect yet. The startup industry has coined the term of the MVP, the minimum viable product, to express this in-between state of both a wonky prototype and a good good enough product for public consumption. If software can never be truly finished, any stage of it is your best guess at what it should be at the time that it's created. As the MVP is the first version of your product that your audience will be exposed to, it is a crucial part to get it right enough while being okay with it not being perfectly right at the same time. Before we look into what an MVP should have, let's look at what it's supposed to do. The MVP is your first real contact with your customer. It has two main functions to allow your early adopters to gauge the value of your service and to enable you to charge them money to gauge their sincerity. The MVP is the first handshake between you and your customers. So to have your MVP leave a great first impression, you will need to scope it sufficiently and time it well. Let's look into these topics in detail and then examine a few bootstrap MVPs that were wildly successful and see how they did it. Let's talk about scoping your MVP first. There are two boxes to tick when it comes to your MVP. It has to be the minimum of what is needed to make your product viable, right? So it's minimum and viable. So what's a minimal product? It's the core functionality only, a simple tool without any fancy additions. And what's a viable product? Well, it's the essence of the solution to your audience's problem, a tool that does exactly what it promises to do and nothing more. Both minimal and viable are limiting the scope of your product and from different directions. You can always make your product more viable, but you can't make it any more minimal without losing your customer. So a minimum viable product should contain a few structural components to make it usable by your audience. They should be able to sign up and log in to solve their problem and be able to pay for your product. Anything else is craft, at least for MVP. Anything else might just be too much. Depending on the technical skill of your audience, you can get by with a very rudimentary interface. If you build a tool for developers, an API and some documentation might just be enough for your MVP. For customers who need a bit more than that, you will have to provide a well-designed interface. Luckily, creating a well-designed interface is easy for an MVP because if you only solve one core problem, there won't be too much potential for confusion. Every interface component you put into your MVP should lead your customer to your core functionality. If you find yourself having trouble with your interface and the user journey, you just may have too much non-critical functionality in your MVP. Your MVP should be what is often called a mafia offer, something your customers can't refuse because it's just too good to piss up. You can accomplish that by focusing on achieving the minimum viable part of your MVP, solve one critical problem that your customers have really well, and don't do anything else. If there's nothing to distract your customers from seeing the value of the product, you've succeeded. 
aware of reacting immediately to early customer feedback. Your MVP is particularly prone to the core problem of software engineering, which is requirement volatility. Your prospective customers will expect different things from their tools over time, or even they might not know what they need, or they might have internalized their work so much that they can't adequately express what their requirements are anymore. Some customers will tell you what they think you need to hear instead of just telling you what they know. And it's always going to be complicated. It will shift over time. People are going to tell you one thing when they start with a task. And two months later, they will tell you the opposite because they figured something out. There's always fallible beings telling you something. You're also fallible. So don't react immediately to customer feedback over something that is supposed to be a minimum and just just viable, right? All software is an imperfect approximation of a solution to a less than well-defined set of requirements. And your MVP will be too, and that's fine. It just has to prove that your core functionality solves your audience's critical problem well enough. One last thing about the scope of your MVP, beware of platform overextension. Do not try and build the very first version of your product for all possible platforms it might be used on and for. If you build an app, find the audience that needs your product the most and build for their platform alone. Your MVP does not have to be available for iOS and Android and BlackBerry and Windows Phone and whatever at the same time. One of these platforms will be your best for the product. So build for that one. For Feedback Panda, we tried to find the most important platform and build for that as well. Since our product was a web-based SaaS for online English teachers, that meant something slightly different for us. We had to choose the right online school to integrate with. And we integrated with the most significant player in the market first, tested with them, and then went for the rest of the market much later. The system we chose before all others was also the one we knew most about, because Danielle was actually teaching through it as... Um, she invented Feedback Panda. She was an online English teacher teaching for this company. And that helped us focus to, uh, on, on building the core functionality without getting lost in the details. So this was about scoping MVP. Let's talk about timing, the second very important part to getting it right. Here's the problem with timing when your MVP is done, supposedly. It is incredibly hard to do this because you're way too much invested in the product. You have this grand vision of what your product could be and will be. And here you are looking at a version that is slimmed down to the extent of being unrecognizable. It will always feel like it's not good enough yet because you always have these ideas floating around. Here's how you can reframe this perspective. All that your customers want is to have one less problem in their lives. They are sitting in front of a bowl of soup with a fork. You have a tiny spoon to offer them, but you think you could make a much larger spoon. Your customers will be perfectly happy with the small spoon because no matter what it can do for them in the future, the bigger spoon, it will already help them with the bowl of soup right here now. Because people don't care about what your product may or may not do in the future. They really only care that it solves their problem in the present. Even early adopters and innovators need something, right? The happy path 
for any customer is to ship the MVP as soon as humanly possible. You need your customers to interact with your product at the earliest possible moment. Only then can you actually find out what works and what doesn't. You need the MVP to become part of their daily workflow. That'll surface interaction conflicts and feature inconsistencies better than any reflection and abstract thinking on the product ever could. And I just mentioned early adopters and innovators. Understand that your first users will be these people. They will be early adopters and even earlier innovators, right? They understand that new products are not done and that them using an imperfect product will make it better. They are aware of their impact on the trajectory of a product and they will play with something that doesn't work perfectly much longer than a mainstream customer ever would. And they will reach out not to complain, but to help. So ship early and release to early adopters. If you can get them not just to use your MVP, but actually commit to it by paying you something, a non-trivial amount of money, then you have a real shot at building a sustainable business. So we talked about scoping, we talked about the timing. Let's talk about the features that a successful MVP should have eventually. If you wanna measure customer commitment, just at a rudimentary payment system from the beginning. Give liberal amounts of free trial time, but set an end to that. An infinite trial period might keep people sticking around, but it won't allow you to check if your product actually produces enough value to warrant paying for it. We had 30 days trial at Feedback Panda from the beginning, but after the trial, people would have to pay. If your first customers only stay with the product because it's free, you do not know if there's any viability in your future business. If you offer a subscription and people start signing up, you know you're onto something. And if they don't sign up, then you have something you can ask them about. You can reach out to the people who signed, at least sign up for the trial and ask them why they didn't subscribe. There's a lot of valuable information there. Another thing, security and privacy should be present in your MVP from the beginning. Do not ingest personally identifiable information more than you need to. Use identity as a service solutions like Auth, Zero from the start and don't implement your own payment system either. Services like Stripe will handle capturing payment, billing information and a PCI compliant, compliant way for you. That is important to have somebody deal with that actually knows what they're doing. In general, don't keep secrets in your database. This burdens you with being very up-to-date with security standards at all times and installing software updates like minutes after they come out. And that is not the core part of your business. It also makes your small business a lucrative target for hacking if you have these secrets in your database. And this puts you personally at risk. So avoid the whole thing by having experts do this for you. And it's still going to be cheap. I get Feedback Panda for... Stripe and R0 and all the other kind of um, identity as a service and authentication as a service services that we use. We paid a like a double digit monthly fee, something like that. Stripe obviously scales with the amount of money you make. So that turned out to be more, but still a very small percentage. So it's always good to pay people to do these things for you. We found one thing to be incredibly useful in the MVP and all later versions of our product as well, and that was client-side monitoring. By getting notifications for errors immediately after they happened in the browser or in the apps that we released to our customers, 
we could see the stack trace and the additional information of an error before our customers even noticed it. On quite a few occasions, I had already composed a customer service response while the affected customer was still typing their initial message to us, but quite surprised when I reached out. So reaching out to a customer before they even thought about talking to a customer service agent is one of the most effective ways of delighting them in a situation that is usually perceived as really negative. The conversations I had from these kind of events, when I saw that somebody's integration had crashed and I told them, well, just here's how to re-enable it. And they, they didn't even know that we would see this and that we could help so quickly. Many of these people turned into very, very positive multiplicators of our message on social media and in their peer group. It was incredible. And since we're talking about customer service, provide a way for the customer to reach you. Give them an easy to use contact form on your site, a real-time chat solution like UserList or Intercom. Just make sure that they have some way to reach out to you when they need to. You're interested in their feedback as soon as they have something to tell you, particularly with your MVP, where you don't know where people get hung up. Make that easy for them to accomplish. None of these features that I talked about, right? Payments, um, a fully fetched payment system, and the customer facing monitoring and privacy and all these kind of things need to be in your MVP from day one not the very first version, they just should eventually become part of it in some form or another. You can do a lot of the work manually for a while, working with basic tools, just like spreadsheets and email and even phone calls, but eventually you'll want to funnel all the activities to through your soon-to-be automated systems. One example I have for this is the payment system we built into a Feedback Panda from the beginning. So we had an option for people to sign up, obviously, to the service and get on the 30-day free trial. But that, at that point, did not involve a payment system at all because the trial we kept in our own database, right? Somebody would sign up and we would say, okay, they started their trial on this day and 30 days later, we would block access. So essentially, from the first day that we had Feedback Panda public, to 30 days later, I had a month's time to build in the payment system. And when people would actually need it, it would be there. So a couple of weeks later, I had finished the payment system. I turned it on and a day later, people tried to subscribe because they were so happy with the product that they actually wanted to subscribe before the end of the trial period. Did not expect that, but that was nice. It was uh, funny enough that I hadn't even switched out the test key that I was using at that point for authentication with the production key. So when the first person tried to subscribe, they um, failed because the system was not expecting to actually get real payments at the time. So it was kind of funny. Had to quickly deploy the real production key for Stripe, and then we could receive our first payment two weeks into actually making the service public. What I'm trying to say is that the system that we had then is nothing compared to the system that we had a couple months later because people could only sign up for a subscription. And that was it in the beginning. And then bit by bit, I added UI components for other things like canceling your subscription. That is something you eventually want to have in your system because you don't want to talk to people who want to cancel and can't find the button because there is none at least not for a long time. So that became part of the system a couple months into building Feedback Panda because it's more important to build features for people to stay with your product than to build features for them to be able to leave and stop subscribing. 
upgrades and downgrades, like changing subscription levels. First off, that doesn't happen too often. So it's something you can do manually for a long time. And if it happens often enough, that is warranting that you actually build something for it. But you don't need to release your software, your first version of the MVP to the public with everything already in there, right? Just allow them to pay you and deal with everything else from the tools that you actually use. You can do all this upgrade, downgrade, side grade, cancellation from within Stripe. You don't need to build features for this into your product just yet. Eventually do that, but not from the beginning. So let's talk about a topic that I find very interesting, like how you can, for the lack of a better word, cheat with your MVP. It is extremely helpful to build a product that solves your own problem. You will know when your MVP is minimally viable since it will solve your problem enough at that point. From there, it'll be good enough for other people as well. This practice is widely known as dog fooding after named after a television ad from the 70s where the owner of a dog food brand claimed that he fed his own dogs the dog food that he produced. So that's where the term comes from. In software engineering and the IT world, this process has been made famous by Amazon where Jeff Bezos has forced all his development teams at some point to build internal APIs for all their products, knowing that they would eventually be made available to external developers too. That way, all the external services would have gone through a long time of internal use, and that usually irons out all the bugs and makes the interfaces widely usable. So that's dog fooding. Another thing you might want to think about is to turn your MVP into an MLP, from minimum viable product to minimum lovable product. Think about the following question. What is the first version of your product that an early adopter might take a screenshot of and share on the network? What features do you need to have your first couple users drop that jar to the floor? What configuration will make it crystal clear how much time or money your customers can save by using your product? Getting your MVP to the point where your customers have no choice but to talk about it is what the minimum lovable product is all about. So keep that in the back of your minds when you build the MVP, when it comes to the interface, when it comes to presenting it in some way. Make it shareable, make it appealing when it comes to being shared as a a really relevant new thing that solves problems that have not been solved before make it stand out and make it clear what your MVP does so that when it is shared, people will understand. Let's talk about a couple examples of MVPs that really work well. And one of them, one of the finest examples of a successful MVP is Endcrawl. I really like that. That's a SaaS in the movie industry. They provide end of movie credits. And over the years, it's been growing like crazy. If you look at the movie festivals that are happening right now and have happened in the last couple months, over 50% of the productions actually in there use and crawl to just put their credits at the end of the movie because it's so much better. At least that's what I've read on Twitter. So... I know. John Aramek, the founder of Endcrawl, worked in a movie post-production company or worked in the whole field for almost a decade. And he found that every production company had trouble with the movie credits. So he just wanted to build a service that makes this much more manageable. The Endcrawl MVP 
essentially was a Perl script that John had built at his breakfast table on a Saturday morning. It ingested a pre-formatted Google Sheet that the movie company would edit with all the information, all the names and all the roles they had in the movie. Every time they needed a rendered version of the credits, they would just send an email to Endcrawl and within 15 minutes, they would receive a link to the finished rendering. That is a process that before Endcrawl took about six or sometimes six hours or sometimes 24 hours, anywhere between six and 24 hours, sometimes even longer. That is what an initial MVP looks like. It is minimal. It's just a Google Sheet and email. It's viable. It solves the problem of the customer. And it's lovable because it solves the problem surprisingly quickly and much better than before. The full UI for this SaaS came later. It wasn't required to validate the product because the product was already validated. Production companies were happy to pay $500 to interact with an API through email. And that's all your MVP is required to do. Recently, I've checked out uh, what Encore looks like now, and you can like have you have this nice builder where you can really just decide what your credits should look like, and you can do this all in the SaaS. But that is a learning. That is a consequence of the MVP. That is not the MVP. The MVP doesn't have to have it all. The MVP just really has to solve the problem and show that people are willing to pay for it. And Joel Gascoigne of Buffer took the two-page MVP route. And that is a very interesting one, too, because it starts with the barest of minimum. So they created a landing page that explained what their tweet scheduling tool would allow a user to do, what Buffer would do. I could choose a time to tweet. You add your tweets to the Buffer, and then Buffer does the rest. That's how they phrased it. And they put a button there, call to action button called plans and pricing. You would click on plans and pricing and you would go to a next page saying where they, um, that they actually weren't ready yet, that they're still working hard to put the finishing touches onto buffer and they would capture your email to then send you an email when they were done. This validation strategy was enough for Joel to see that there was some interest in a tweet scheduling product and he wanted to learn even more about his customers before building the functional MVP. So he added a page in between the landing and the email capture, asking prospects to pick a price level that they'd be interested in paying together with a free option from the beginning. He saw that this resulted in some interest in paid plans, even, even though there was a free option which was an indicator that tweet scheduling was something people would pay for. And it was good enough for him to build the first version of Buffer, which is a product that was the foundation of what is now an incredible bootstrap business that has been very, very important in the open data and transparency movement as well. So that is if it works. But let's talk what happens if it doesn't. Because we've seen a few examples that... Um, were successful. Let's take a look at what happens if your MVP fails. Like everything in the beginning stages of your bootstrap business, the MVP is mostly a tool for validation. So expect that some of your customers will not like it for some reason, and your job is to find out why. An MVP with acceptance problems hasn't yet failed. It's just incomplete, right? You just need to iterate. You need to change things. Understanding where the customer is having trouble, making use of your product is required to make it more accessible. But sometimes you might just have created the right product for the wrong customer. In this case, start over, but don't throw away what you have created. Your future business 
or somebody else might be able to salvage your MVP and turn it into a flourishing business for another audience. Just keep it somewhere, right? Just save the code, save the logins, all these kind of things. Just keep it someplace. In general, you will have a choice. You know, three choices kind of. You can adjust your MVP to solve the problem better. You can solve a different problem for the same audience or look for another audience, right? You can kind of tweak the solution, you can tweak the problem, or you can tweak the audience. I recommend trying to salvage your MVP before scrapping it altogether. So try to go solution first, then problem, then audience. But at some point, you might just want to call it a day and look for greener pastures. I've done this many times with products or ideas that didn't survive the first contact with the audience that they were intended for. It hurt every time, but every time it happened, I understood that I had just learned a valuable lesson about what I thought reality would be and what it turned out. Every time you have to correct your perception of reality, I think you're inching a bit closer to your customer's truth. And that is where you will be able to eventually serve them. So if you're... MVP causes your customers to pay for your product, that's great. You've validated that you're on the right, in the right track. You can now focus on turning it into a business. But if it doesn't result in paying customers at all, even after a few iterations, that's also great because you've just validated that you were on the wrong track and you won't be pursuing that direction any longer. You just save yourself from trying to build a business that won't resonate with customers. You just really save yourself from overcommitting to something that won't work. So validating that you are on the right path that's why you build an MVP. Either success or failure of the MVP will allow you to become a better entrepreneur. Let me talk a bit about my own personal experience with MVPs in the companies that I've been part of, because there's been quite a few of those and they all were kind of different. So that's quite interesting. I think I'm gonna start with the not so successful ones. Um, here in Berlin, I've co-founded a company with friends that was a local food marketplace startup, supposedly, has since then pivoted from that into something else that is still kind of related to food, but not the same. But the thing we built back then was essentially a marketplace, always a bit complicated. We tried to get farmers from around the city of Berlin to sell their products to people who like local regional food. So we built a big, big product where people could uh, put their products and their stores and their farms on a map and people could kind of purchase items from there. And it was it was a gigantic feature heavy piece of software that had way too many features for the first version to be released because we'd never really validated any of our ideas with the customers. We just tried to build what we thought was right was a big problem. We built and built and added more features, added tagging, added like specific local searches and all these kind of things without ever having a customer really to look into it. We had a few customers and by a few, I really mean a handful. We built this product uh, over the years and essentially may have had 50, 60 customers altogether. And of course, that wasn't really useful for the farmers. And it was also not really useful for um, the people who would buy the food. So all in all, we built a gigantic MVP that was way bigger than it should have been. 
we probably could have done a lot of this by hand by just like having a list and sending out an email list, uh, like a, a list of available food to an email list of interested people probably would have had more success with that. So this kind of concierge level of MVP is always interesting, even if your vision of the product is something completely different. Just want to go back to end crawl because it always kind of comes up when I think about this. But end crawl did with the MVP is to show that there was interest and that people were willing to pay and that people wanted the problem solved. They didn't really want to show that their final vision of what the SaaS could be is the right vision. That was never intentional, right? That was never the idea. The idea was to show that somebody needs credits. They just really need to put in some information in a list and then have credits rendered. And that is that. They don't need more. And by doing that, they validated the core assumption of the business and got a lot of information that they might never have received if they had built the whole SaaS from the beginning. Because the builder that is in Endcrawl now, the kind of workflow management and the chain of like what comes in, what goes out, all this kind of stuff, all these integrations that are in the product now are results of interactions with customers. And if you don't do that, and we didn't do that, it was a big problem. And we, we just didn't know at that point. Of course, we know now, but that was 2014 or something. If you don't do this, you're essentially running blind. And you can trick yourself into believing that you know what your customers want, but you don't know until you actually expose them to your product. That brings me to another, let's call it failed startup um, that had a great MVP. We were building photojournalism software for people to upload their, um, yeah, for photojournalists, for people who go into areas where there's war or where there's just natural disasters happening and shooting photos for them to up upload their software, um, not to upload their photos through our software. And we had a great MVP, it was really slim. It didn't have too many features, but it did what it was supposed to do. And we had a paying customer, but then all of a sudden, we didn't really find the right channels to market it to people. So we just didn't expose enough potential photojournalists to the product. And after a while, the company fell apart. So we had a great MVP and that was awesome. It was really, really just doing what it was supposed to do. There wasn't any fluff around it. But if you don't show your MVP to people and if you don't show it to the right people, which is early adopters and innovators, people who are interested in MVPs, interested in building the product by using it and seeing this kind of what the first stage is, where they start using it and where it, what it, it turns into into the future by them giving feedback. That's what some people are interested in, others not. And we talked to the people who are not interested in that. So we didn't find the right marketing channels, even the right validation channels for that product. Hence, the company failed. And something that is... Um, has been a fairly recent experience of mine when I worked as an actual employee, as a salaried software engineer. In the past couple of years ago, I worked in an IoT uh, software engineering company. So we're building uh, systems for municipalities to manage 
a lot of smart city things. And we built an MVP too. That was also fairly simple. It was, uh, there was a lot of te- technology involved, a lot of um, radio technology hardware as well. And we had lots of MVPs there that were hilariously simple, but they did the job. And the software we wrote did the same thing. And we pushed that out to the early adopters. And early adopters, when it comes to municipalities and cities, institutions, that means the kinds of people that are willing to take a risk in adopting a new system for an experiment, at least citywide, right? That was hard to find, but there were these people. Usually it was younger people. That's always interesting when it comes to bigger organizations, older people or people that have been with an organization for long, they might not have as much to prove and they might have more to protect. So they might not be interested in doing these kind of experiments, but we found all over the board that younger people, like physically younger people and people who have been with a company for not so long, but were in a managerial decision-making position, were more interested in being early adopters for this kind of product. So we pushed it to them. They gave us their feedback. We built a mainstream product out of their feedback with the help of these early adopters. And we did a lot of adjustments that we just did not foresee. There's a lot of politics in municipal organizations and institutions. There's a lot of things, integrations into systems that we didn't expect to be there. And with these people, we built it into something that people who had more to lose and were more risk averse would also use. So it was really nice to use the MVP, not only to validate that our business idea was good because we had some validation with that, obviously, but also to use the feedback that came through the MVP and the kind of deployments that we made to turn the product into something that mainstream customers would also adopt. It's very important. So an MVP has validation functions. Like I said, it's mostly validation because it won't be the final product. Just look at Antcrawl. Like a Perl script is not your final product, but that is not what it's all about. So be ready to scrap a lot of features that you put into your MVP or you didn't put into your MVP or that are on your mind that you think your vision should have or that you think you will never build. Just be flexible when it comes to these kind of things, because what you're doing is trying to see if what you have in mind is right. Don't go in thinking that you know what you want to do is perfect. And that's exactly what you're going to be doing, because you don't need to validate if you don't want to change your mind. Right? Validation will mean either you don't need to change your mind because you were right, or you need to change your mind because you are wrong. But if you think you're right, well, what's the point of this? So with your MVP, always be... Uh, clear that there might be things that this will show to you are wrong in your conception of what the business is or what the business should be. So just be flexible. And I think building an MVP in that kind of mindset with that kind of perspective that whatever comes your way will make the product better and will make you a better entrepreneur understanding more about the needs and desires and requirements of your audience. I think that's what an MVP is all about. Thank you for listening to the Bootstrap Founder Podcast today. You can find me on Twitter at Avid Kahl, A-R-V-I-D-K-A-H-L. And you can check out the blog at thebootstrapfounder.com. If you want to support me and the Bootstrap Founder Podcast, please leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts and wherever you subscribe to the podcast. It'll help other founders and 
founders to be. To find the podcast and learn more about starting, running, and selling their bootstrap businesses. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day. Bye bye.